2: Coming up on Millennial.
0: When I heard complaints about race and the Lord of the Rings, I actually just assumed people were saying the show's too white, which might be a valid concern. Yeah. But no, the the complaints are actually really stupid. As somebody on Twitter said, elves can't be black from the creators of White Jesus.
2: Right. (laughs)
1: Exactly.
0: And so the most regretted college majors. Topping the list, humanities and arts.
1: I feel attacked.
0: As somebody who has been in the same room as Harry Styles, do you think that Harry spit on Chris Pine?
2: Well, he didn't spit on me. So take that (laughs) in whatever direction that you'd want to take it in.
0: And now the show is up to date with this week's trends.
2: Yes! (laughs) We did it. It's been like taking everything for me to hold back from talking about the mess. (laughs)
0: Welcome to Millennial, the home of pretend adulting and real talk. I'm podcast.
1: Oh God, <laughs>
0: you knew we were
1: doing for this
2: at all. <laughs> I'm unprepared. I also didn't prepare, but I'm swifty. Oh my gosh! On Friday, I told
0: y'all I we were going to do the Twitter I meme. Oh, I even bolded <laughs> the note. Do we want to do it again? I don't know. It's up to you guys if you want I thought it was funny the
1: way it was. Okay, then let's
0: do it that way then. Yeah, yeah that's fine. But
1: you know, I'm down with doing it again for the show, you know.
0: <laughs> if you two could pick a word right now, well Pam picked hers, but Laura, I what did. would you pick?
1: Well, I've been told that I am diplomatic. Okay. <laughs> so I guess I would say that. I'm diplomatic.
2: Well what what even was yours, Andrew?
0: Podcast.
2: <laughs> Podcast. Okay. <laughs>
0: So the meme on Twitter last week was tweet a word that just represents you or your brand. So I feel like I'm very much podcast at this point in my life. And sorry, what was yours again, Laura? Diplomatic.
1: But that's like very lofty. That's like the nice thing people say about me. If I were to go for what I think of myself, it would be I am stoner. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, man. I wish you would tweet that one out, but I I understand why you wouldn't. Yeah. Maybe just to your Twitter circle. There
1: we go. <laughs> Keep an eye out. It's coming. Or not. I probably won't.
0: Set up your circle. I'm loving my circle. Yeah,
1: you know, I'm I'm going to sit here and tell you right now, yeah, Andrew, I will do that and then I won't. It's going to take me like another 2 weeks
2: to actually follow through. <laughs> on One it. day when you have a take that is so spicy, you cannot possibly put it on real Twitter. You're going to set your circle up and it's going to be a beautiful thing. (laughs) Speaking
1: of things that apparently are part of me, I think define me somehow on this show. I have gained the reputation as being what we uh, determined in the pre show was a pumpkin spice slut. Um, I, you know, many years ago, I expressed that I actually really like pumpkin spice lattes. And that still holds true. But I don't know if the psls became sweeter year over year Mm -hmm. or if my taste buds have adjusted but the vast majority of these like crafted lattes are too sweet for me nowadays so my preference is i copied pam to be perfectly clear here was to do like an iced coffee or a cold brew and put like a squirt of pumpkin flavoring into it like a pump (laughs) Of it. Just a hint.
0: When you speak to the barista, how do you describe that? A squirt, a hint? No, actually, a splash, I shot a dash. A
1: squirt would be weird, right? It would
0: was- <laughs> <laughs> squirt some pumpkin in there, baby. Just a
1: squirt. <laughs> no, I, I usually say like depending on you know the beverage, but like I usually say a pump. Yeah. Or lately, what I've been doing, so freaking good, y'all. It's not pumpkin at all, but. I'm totally going on a tangent. It's uh, iced coffee at Dunkin' with coconut milk and the sugar-free coconut sweetener. It is divine if you're like hanging on to those last vestiges of summer. That sounds so good. Before you submit to
2: pumpkin spice season.
0: <laughs> submit. <laughs> submit to that squirt.
2: Pete's Coffee has a, a black tie, a coconut black tie. I think that's what it's called. If you guys have a Pete's Coffee near you, it's delicious. And that is like what I get if I want to treat because it's iced coffee. And then there's just like a tiny little bit of condensed sweetened milk at the bottom and then they put the coconut syrup in there and it's just so good it's my favorite summer beverage so if you have a pizza near you i would i would order the coconut black tie
0: listener challenge free month of patreon to anybody who records themselves going up to a barista and saying i want a squirt of pumpkin in my drink please
2: that's a steal
0: but say like squirt i want to squirt (laughs) a pumpkin or or like squirt me so just say it's sexy like yo squirt me up
2: squirt me some pumpkin baby so you really want them to be real pumpkin spice sluts (laughs)
0: <laughs> yes. Come off like a pumpkin spiced slut. It's like
2: when people go, like, I want a filthy chai. I the number of times I heard people say that and think that they were so clever when I was working as a barista. It's like, oh, yeah. I want a dirty chai. And so then sometimes you would say, like, oh, like how many shots do you want in there? It's like, make it filthy. It's like, okay. Ew. <laughs> okay. Ew.
0: They were totally hitting on you in that moment, too.
2: <laughs> a, d- a dirty little slut of a dirty chai.
0: Y'all watched The Rings of Power yet? The new Lord of the Rings
1: series? Yeah, I've mm-hmm. seen some of it. I'm not as up to date as I had hoped to be. Well,
0: what do you think? I mean, you're a huge Lord of the Rings fan. Are you impressed so far?
1: Yeah, I mean, I to clarify, when I think about being a huge fan of something, I think about Harry Potter, for example. Uh-huh. I am definitely a more casual Lord of the Rings fan. I read the books, really enjoyed them, liked the Peter Jackson movies, Will not go near The Hobbit because I feel like he destroyed one of my favorite books from childhood by trying to turn it into three movies. But I digress. Um, I, I think it seems good so far. I have some feelings about the amount of CG. Yeah. Like I know they spent I know they spent a lot of money on it, but I think one of the the real charms about the original Lord of the Rings, not the originals cuz there are old ones. I think BBC did a series, but the Peter Jackson films did such a great job of blending CG with practical effects.
0: Okay, fair.
1: And that gives it more of an element of realism. Sometimes when I see something that is like all CG and very clearly filmed on a green screen, it kind of takes me out of it. But I'm going to keep watching. I'm going to keep up with you, Andrew. You've committed to watching the whole thing.
0: Yeah, for now. <laughs> <laughs> They're really good special effects, though. I mean, the show is such a treat to watch. I've been blown away so far.
1: Yeah, I'm
0: not a big Lord of the Rings fan, but I did see the movies, and it captures the richness and incredible environment that Peter Jackson's Middle-earth initially created. It wasn't going to be a given that they'd be able to match what Jackson created, but they did with flying colors, and not just the visuals, but the scores and the character personalities, and just truly feeling like you're in this world again. It's all there, in my opinion.
2: I also really liked it. I think that the feeling and the spirit of the movies is definitely alive and well with the Amazon production. And I think that that was honestly half the battle for them was to create something that gave people that same feeling that you're describing from watching the movies for the first time, especially like I know, obviously, like, There are certain like different levels to being Lord of the Rings fans. Some people are coming at it being lifelong fans of the books. That's not me. I'm way more of a casual fan. I could never really get into the books except for The Hobbit, which was read to me. So I think the fact that they've really kind of been able to cater to both of those audiences from what I've seen so far on Twitter I think that that's a really huge feat in and of itself. I do understand what Laura is saying about the, like, wishing that there was more of a blend of, uh, practical effects in addition to special effects, like with CGI and digital images. I notice that more whenever, like, you see, like, these expansive, um, backgrounds of, like, um, different lands being mm-hmm. portrayed. And my concern with that, honestly, is how well it's going to hold up over time, because it would be a real shame for it to not look as good in, you know, even 10 years from now. And I think like when you look at all of the movies that still look really good. Um, something like, you know, even the Harry Potter franchise, the reason that those first few movies still look great is because they did do a really good job of blending practical effects and animatronics with CGI. Because if they hadn't, if all of it had been digitally created, then it would look way worse than it does. Yeah, time will tell.
0: I think that's a fair point. So there was a little bit of drama with Rings of Power. It's so stupid, though. The show was getting review bombed because some lonely and sad people were uh, attacking what the creators were doing with a particular lady character. I won't spoil who. And they were also complaining about the existence of black elves. So people are just being misogynistic and racist. And Amazon, I think rightfully, prevented people from leaving reviews. I think we mentioned before, Amazon spent hundreds of millions of dollars on season one alone. I can't blame them for letting randos on the internet ruin the show's image just because they're being racist. I think it's really stupid. Is there grounds to criticize the show? Of course. But... You can't let internet trolls ruin your show just because they're being dicks.
2: Right. I honestly wish more companies would do that if they saw race-related flaming happening. Uh, And I hope that they continue to do this or, like, even, like, Some of the other stuff that you were talking about as well, because I think you see this a lot where series get trashed by small minded people because, you know, they have good representation, whether that is race related or even like sexual orientation related. And it's really such a shame that people have the time to do that, but also that, you know, then it really starts to fuck with people who put a lot of weight into just looking at how many star stars a a thing has before they sit down to watch it.
1: Yeah, I I always love the take. And thank you, Chloe, our social media manager for calling this out in the discord of people who want to talk shit like, well, there weren't powerful black people back then. And I'm like, back when? (laughs) Lord of the Rings isn't fucking real.
2: Elves are not fucking fucking real yeah get over it <laughs> when
0: i heard complaints about race and the lord of the rings i actually just assumed people were saying the show's too white which might be a valid concern in 2022 yeah. but no the the complaints are actually really stupid as somebody on yeah. twitter said Elves Can't Be Black from the Creators of White Jesus.
2: Right. Exactly. (laughs) Do you know what's also hilarious is that I thought if anything, people would be upset over how short some of the actors who are playing elves are, because in the movies, they're significantly taller than a lot of the other characters Mm -hmm. like the dwarves or the hobbits. Some of these people playing elves are very short, but nobody's talking about height discrepancies. You know, it's like the same thing. And they shouldn't because that's dumb. Like nobody should be talking about that.
1: Or how about the fact that book to movie adaptations very rarely cast people who are carbon copies of the characters they're intended to play. And no one ever says anything about that.
0: Right. Actually, there was a thread on that on Twitter. I can't pull it up in the moment, but there was a little thread pointing that out and it seems to only be when the characters are of color that there are complaints if they're white characters there's no issue uh one comparison in this thread was ron weasley yeah doesn't look like rupert grint you know he's taller i think more lanky rupert grint is not that there weren't any complaints same thing with many other uh you know characters in harry potter no complaints unless they're black
1: well, and it's it's interesting, too. We don't have to talk about House of the Dragon because I know that we've already chatted about it somewhat. But I've also seen some complaints online about people of color being more prominently featured in that series than the original Game of Thrones series. It seems like people don't have as much of a beef with that unless I'm just missing it on Twitter. Um, but what I have seen people complaining about is still just this idea that, well, back in, you know, medieval times, a black man would never sat, would never have sat on the council of a king. And I'm like, well, lucky for you, Game of Thrones is not real.
0: Right. It's fucking fiction.
2: Go like seriously, go fuck yourself. Yeah. It's also just really funny to me, too, when they say like they try and use it like, um oh, well, like this ethnicity of person it's impossible for like that color hair to exist so like there was that argument floating around with like um there being like black targaryen house members and it's like well black people can have white hair black people can have red hair so like your argument for that and also for that matter the little mermaid live action movies, like those colors exist in nature and it's not like specific to one race of person and even if it was like everybody can dye their hair so yeah. it's not that deep. And also, you know? like
1: you telling me that Matt Smith and Amelia Clark, that's their natural hair color? Because no, it isn't. Of course
0: not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I swear to God, I'm not saying this to earn woke points, but I find it increasingly noticeable when a cast is all white and it's awkward. Yeah. And I honestly feel shitty for watching things that are all white people. Because it just feels so wrong at this point. It's long overdue, more diversity in these shows and movies, but it's still taking way too long. So I just naturally feel this way, thanks to all the awareness that's been raised around the issue over the last few years.
1: Yeah, well, it doesn't look like the world we're all walking around in, Mm -hmm. I think, is a big part of it. You know, with the awareness comes the realization that you are coexisting with a lot of different kinds of people. And it's probably not something, Andrew, that you or I, growing up white, had to think about as much. So right. as we've developed that consciousness and that awareness, yeah, it it does look weird when there are no people of color featured. And it's because it is weird. Yeah. It's because it is weird by today's standards. It should have been weird in the past. It wasn't, but it it is now, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is a good thing.
0: Yeah. Speaking of visual effects, just wanted to mention, it's very interesting that the show is coming out at the same time as Marvel is releasing new episodes of She-Hulk, because there's been a lot of criticism around the work on She-Hulk specifically. She just doesn't look right. A little too smooth. The movement is odd. And actually, if you watch the latest episode, episode three, There's a scene like four and a half minutes in where they have her walking so oddly, it looks fake. It looks like a joke. I initially saw this clip on Twitter and I was so shocked that that would show up in a Disney Marvel production that I immediately in the middle of the workday loaded up Disney Plus to look at the scene in the episode because I thought it was fake. I thought it was a fake out on Twitter. It was real. It's very interesting that Marvel has seemingly not given the money or time that She-Hulk has needed.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree. I remember when I saw the initial trailers for She-Hulk, I was concerned because even in the trailers, the CG looked off. And I think they made some improvements to it based off of feedback to those trailers, but they didn't go quite far enough. What I will say, in fairness, and feel free to call me out on this because I am a Marvel fan. So, you know, I can't I might be biased here. Trying to produce humanoid features in a CG format is notoriously challenging. I think we can think of a lot of movies where we have found ourselves in the uncanny valley because something was close, maybe a little too close, but not quite Right. So that's always going to be a challenge when it comes to designing a character that's supposed to resemble a human. I think the other thing is we can acknowledge that Hulk's character model in She Hulk looks way better. And I think that that, that can be due to a couple of things. Andrew, I know you had some thoughts on this, but. I think a big part of it is that his model has existed for a long time and it has actually gone through some refinements of its own over time. So they have had more time to develop it. You would think though, that based off of that, they could have come up with a better base model for She-Hulk. Yeah. Like, I'm not saying that they can't improve it over time and I'm not saying that it had to be perfect Right at the start of the show, but I was hoping for something better than what we got.
0: In terms of Mark Ruffalo's Hulk, A, they already have his bar set. Mm-hmm. They they can't make him look worse. They can't save money on his character because people will definitely notice that after seeing him in so many movies. Um, and then also... Hulk, he's got the facial hair and I think that makes him look more lifelike. And then you go to She-Hulk and Tatiana Maslany's character and being a woman, no facial hair, she's just very clean and it almost doesn't look real. But then yes, I also think that they just haven't put the money into it that they needed mm-hmm. and they just haven't figured it out yet in terms of her movement. Like you watch a scene in episode 3, she's moving like 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 she's made of jello. And this situation reminded me of a story in this new Disney Plus Industrial Light Magic docuseries. This is the creative team behind um, Star Wars and Jurassic Park and many others. If you haven't seen this docuseries, you have to watch it. It's very interesting. But in this, they're talking about having difficulty making dinosaurs run for the first time in Jurassic Park, and they went through several versions of a running T-Rex, but they couldn't get it right, like how it car- how the dinosaur carries itself, where the weight is distributed. They just couldn't figure it out. It just wasn't looking lifelike. And then they made one little change to how the T-Rex carried itself, and that was it. That was it. It, it was magic. They figured it out just like that. Marvel has not had that moment yet with she No, they have They're not. They're still tinkering. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I will say people despite the fact that the CG is absolutely not perfect, people were simping hard over that post credit scene last week. Although the CG is not totally there, I think Marvel still captured something in that moment because they know what the fans want and there are a lot of fans that love big, sexy green lady. So seeing her embrace her sexuality, it's not graphic or anything like that. But people were really into it. So I think there are a lot of things that they are doing right with She-Hulk's character. The design just isn't one of them, hopefully, yet. Hopefully, they're going to get better.
0: Yeah, they'll figure it out.
1: Well, Pam and I wanted to tag team a story about the new Selena album that has recently come out. I'm not talking about Selena Gomez. I'm talking about Selena Quintanilla, the queen of Tejano music, allegedly released a new album. And the way this was done was posthumously. So I think Pam is going to be able to explain a little bit more from a musical perspective of how this happens. They took some old recordings of her and I think remastered them and made some changes to, um, you know, the vocal tones to make her sound a little more mature, closer to what she sounded like when she died back in 1995. But the reason that we wanted to talk about this was because one of our listeners, Mario, tweeted at Pam and myself asking what we thought of the Moonchild mixes as um, Selena's new album is known, whether or not we'd be listening to it, and just, you know, if we thought it was creepy. (laughs) We're not. So Pam, I think you have a few examples of other artists that have gotten the posthumous treatment. Maybe we can chat about them and also talk about how exactly this works with altering these old recordings that I believe were previously unreleased.
2: Yeah. So like you said, this album was released posthumously. And I also want to point out that this is not the first posthumous release for selena specifically the family or i guess in this case it would be called the estate even though her family runs the estate has been releasing different uh variations of like best hits greatest hits stuff like that for a while but most notably in 1995 four months after her murder Her one and only English album, Dreaming of You, was posthumously released. Now, this was an album that was already finished and it was already scheduled to be released before Selena was tragically murdered. So that's a little bit of a different case. But obviously, she is not the only artist who have had music released after their passing. A couple of other examples, and there are so many more, include Janis Joplin, Elvis Presley, Sid Vicious, Freddie Mercury, eazy E, the Notorious B.I.G., John Denver, Aaliyah, Prince, Johnny Cash, and a more recent one would be Mac Miller as well. Uh, so some of these artists had art records that were already completed and meant to be released. And then other times you have estates like this Lena estate that choose to release um, previously recorded material that was probably never going to be released were it not for their passing. So it's definitely a little bit of a tricky issue. And I wanted to also ask Laura if you had a chance to listen to The Moonchild mixes.
1: I did. I listened to it before we hopped on to record today. What about you? I also did. I want to know what you thought about this. So there are some tracks where I feel like her voice sounds very close to what we remember, like at the peak of her success. But there are some tracks where you can tell that they digitally altered, like I'm thinking about um, Dame Tu Amor, for example, like it couldn't be more clear (laughs) that that was digitally altered, and that that was recorded probably before her voice had fully matured.
2: Did you have the same thought? I did. And my, my issue with it, honestly, is that I think like all of us probably have at least one musician that we've followed um, for a very long time. Um, Andrew, I know that like you followed Bruce for a very long time and I'm sure that you can hear differences in the way he sings things now versus when he yes. was younger, right? Cause your style changes and sometimes your voice changes too. And for something like this, it's not a matter of the voice sounding as mature as it did bef- like when she was a full on adult. It's just sometimes it's weird to hear like, You know, Selena in her twenties on this album, but then she doesn't have like the rasp that you know of like Selena in her twenties, and she doesn't enunciate words in the same way. And so it's just like a really weird listening experience overall. If you are familiar with her from a multitude of levels, in addition to it just being a little bit creepy that. You know, the voice was digitally altered and pitched down because all of these recordings are from like her teenage years and maybe even younger.
0: If the song is released or an album is released as the artist roughly intended, you know, maybe they drop a song or two or add a song or two or make minor adjustments. I don't necessarily see an issue with that, assuming that the artist did record it all the way through and maybe at some point said that they did want to release this if they're altering it as heavily as it sounds like selena has done um then yeah that does sound like a cheap cash grab and it sounds like a problem that won't please the fans pam you had said that you were sure uh an artist maybe selena specifically wouldn't want to release that maybe because it hadn't been released while she was alive so why would it some artists do sit on music for a really long time you know like bringing up bruce again he'll sit on an album or songs for decades at this point, and then we'll release them in time. So I don't think we should assume that just because it wasn't released, you know, like right after they recorded it, they wouldn't, they wouldn't ever want to have put it out there. And then of course, there's also the benefit of, you know, it's good from like an archival purpose to have it out there. So fans can see what else the artist did have in mind.
2: It would have felt a little less icky if they had just released the demos. I understand having to remaster them for sound, you know, because obviously something recorded in the early 80s is recorded on analog. It's not recorded digitally. So you're probably going to have to run it through some kind of like remastering for it to sound good on like an MP3 file format, for example, for the purposes of streaming. But I I I don't know. I just (laughs) like imagine if like it's just yeah i just think like the the digitally altering voices is what really kind of threw everybody for a loop here i've never heard of that happening before but that doesn't mean that it hasn't happened before so i want to i want to um stress that as well
1: yeah i want to ask pam and maybe this can provide some additional context because this was the one that i thought was the weirdest was salta la renita i've never heard that before but i mean it, it literally is the little frog jumps, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to me it sounds like a nursery rhyme type song that she sang as a mm-hmm. child and then yeah. they digitally aged her up to sound like she was in her twenties. That's weird. I don't feel like Yeah. I needed that. I
2: don't know if anyone
1: needed that. It was weird. Well,
2: speaking of just um artists, like you know, kind of like more like larger than life artists having Uh, full-on lives and careers after their death. I think we also wanted to talk about hologram shows as well. And one of you brought up the example of the Whitney Houston hologram show. Yeah. So this
0: was a residency, if you will, in Vegas. And it's a hologram Whitney Houston with a live band on the stage and with live dancers on stage. And the dancers are kind of in front of Whitney and the band's behind her. So it kind of does create this like, the stage feels like 3D and dynamic, even though Whitney Houston's just on a transparent screen. But so <laughs> it turns out this Whitney Houston show, and you can see footage on it, of it on YouTube, only had an eight-month run and closed in Vegas earlier this year. The producers didn't say why, but many are assuming that just ticket sales weren't there. Producers did say that they are enhancing the show and it will come back. But it closed a few months ago and there's been no update. So I think ticket sales have just been trash and they're just going to hope everybody forgets about it. But yeah, the hologram shows are are kind of similar because you're again cashing in on an artist who has passed and with very mixed results and very it's a controversial choice like to bring back a star through a freaking screen. No matter how good Whitney or any other hologram looks, it's still a cash grab. It's a cheap move. And I think it hurts the reputation of the artist overall.
2: It's also just hard when like, there's no way for us to know if that person would have ever wanted it, but I'll bet you anything that artists of the Whitney Houston caliber are now putting that into their wills. Um, I know that I think Prince said that he never wanted to come back as a hologram. Like he explicitly stated that. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm sure we're going to hear about that more and more with like the rise of these shows gaining popularity. And same thing with music in
0: these artists wills. Mm-hmm. You can't release anything.
2: Yeah, after yeah. I, I mean, like, but, you know, to your point, there are some artists that bank a lot of material. My, one of my grandma's, my grandma's, like, absolute favorite was this um, Ranchero singer named Vicente Fernandez, who fortunately for her passed after she did. So she didn't have to, like, suffer that uh, or she would have been, like, distraught. But I've heard her say my whole life almost that, like, he had a plan in place in his will and he has, like, he had a plan for how he wanted new releases to come rolling out after he passed away. So that man had all his ducks in a row. And I respect that, you know, that's like such an easy way to, to make sure that like your estate is doing right by your legacy. And also that like your children aren't fighting over how you get to like live on, like you get to choose how that works.
1: Yeah. I also just don't get it. (laughs) Like I don't get the appeal of a hologram show because you're effectively watching a recording. You're not getting a concert experience because there's no there's no variety in what's happening, right?
0: It's kind of like you're watching a movie. Yeah. Or a TV show.
1: So then just watch a recording of that person's concert. Or if they wanted to re-release live shows and release them in movie theaters... They do that all the time for movies. They do that with Broadway plays all the time. So why not just re-release a very popular concert, charge a premium for people to go see it, and there's your money. And it's not weird.
2: Yeah, I would do that. Yeah. You know, and they could even do it in an arena to like give the vibe. Yeah, for sure. Well, I know we've been talking also a lot about Artists that are posthumously hologrammed after their death, but a band that is doing this now while all members are still alive is ABBA. I don't know if you guys have heard about this. They have their Voyage concert, yeah, um, which features digital versions of the band members performing alongside ten live musicians. So it's, I guess, kind of similar to what. The Whitney Houston show was only obviously all the members of ABBA are still alive they're just in their 70s so too
0: tired for this live stage stuff anymore
2: it's smart of them to do this because you know they just released their first album in 40 years and now they get to tour without actually touring and it sounds like this set them back a pretty penny which I'm sure they're all making back You know, really quickly because the concert runs through December, 2022. Uh, they had to build a custom arena to pull this off. So that's over at Queen Elizabeth Olympic Park in London. And I see TikToks all the time of people going to the show and they look like they're having a blast. But you know, at the same time, it's not really ABBA. It's more like you're going to a big dance party and like ABBA, like a likeness of ABBA is playing. I
0: think I would almost prefer like a real tribute concert where there's actual humans singing and performing on stage like yes there's a live band and I think that makes a huge impact but if there are people impersonating ABBA I think I would like that more because I just can't get past looking at a flat screen to watch them like I get the music is pumping and you got the lights and you got the live band and maybe dancers like in Whitney Houston but uh I don't know
1: Yeah. And I know, you know, to kind of bring it back to Selena, I remember a few years ago in like 2015, her family had announced that Selena was also going to be getting the hologram treatment. So I wouldn't be surprised if we hear updates about that soon, given the fact that they just released this album. I wonder if they're kind of seeing what public perception is before they jump fully into the hologram deep end.
0: Yeah. At least, you know, with ABBA, they're all still alive. So, right. like, you know, they're okay with it.
1: Yeah. There's something very <laughs> macabre about using someone's likeness after they've died, especially when they they died at a time where that just wasn't even a concept. Yeah. Like when you think about your you die in the 90s and you think about your likeness being used, you're thinking about already existing material, photos, videos, promotional materials, that kind of thing. I don't think that Selena would have imagined that they would digitally alter her voice to make her sound a certain way or that they would use her likeness as a hologram. Now, I don't. I didn't know her, so I don't know what she would have wanted. But it does seem like a stretch to say that she would have had any concept of what any of this is because it just
2: wasn't a thing when she was alive. I think, honestly, in her case, too, and I'm sure we've said this before, but unfortunately, she is an example of somebody who um, shot even further into stardom and whose star power reached beyond its normal confines because of her death yep and um you know it's great because i think that what she represents is really beautiful but at the same time given the way that the family has behaved in terms of how they've chosen to honor her legacy it leaves a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths, especially people that have been following her career for so long. Mm-hmm. It's a tough situation. Last point I'll
0: bring up about the hologram because I just had another thought. I think this, whether it's the Whitney one or the Abba one, and why Abba's okay with this, I assume, is because it's bringing people back to a different moment in time. I'm thinking, you know, Abba and and Whitney both. Very popular decades ago, people who grew up on their music want to go back to when they were younger. This is a very immersive experience more than going to a movie theater, seeing a concert on television because you got the lights and the sounds and the band and and you're watching this younger version of the band you really love uh, up on stage again. That would, I mean, I was thinking like I would kill to see something like this, maybe from Bruce, actually, like seeing 70s, 80s Bruce when I wasn't alive, like that could potentially be a really cool experience. So I think this is just about giving people an immersive experience that takes them back.
1: Yeah, I can see that. But I guess my question to you, Andrew, then would be, you know, Bruce is still alive. So if he came out with an immersive 1970s, 1980s Bruce hologram show, I think that would be fun for you, but maybe it would be less so if Bruce, you know, I need to knock on wood here. Um, If, you know, God forbid something happened and then his estate was like, here's 1970s Bruce. And he had no hand in it. I think you would feel weird. No, I
0: agree. About
1: that.
2: Especially if they were still charging you however much the ticket prices have gone up (laughs) (laughs) to.
0: Platinum ticket prices. Yeah. I think I also wanted to bring up um, biopics too, because this is kind of related. It's interesting. I think we're starting to see artists get ahead of the inevitable biopic before they die. Because after they pass, they might not have any control over it. It might be left up to the estate or it might be left up to somebody else who could somehow get the rights to the story. I'm thinking about Elton John and Rocketman. It's a very good movie. And thankfully, got to give Elton a lot of credit. It is very transparent when it comes to his drug and alcohol abuse. It doesn't necessarily put Elton in a good light and his anger management issues. Um, Also, Queen did Bohemian Rhapsody, and they had a lot of control there as well.
2: Yeah, the one that's happening right now is the Madonna biopic, and she's taking it a step further. Of course, she is. It's Madonna. She's actually directing her own biopic, and she handpicked Julia Gardner of Inventing Anna and Ozark fame to play her in this biopic about her life Uh, there have been some crazy stories to come out of uh, out of this production including the madonna boot camp that they supposedly put all perspective stars (laughs) through to see like who could keep up with you know the version of herself she wanted on the big screen but you know i guess this is a way to do it if you want to make sure that your story is told the way you want it to be told i don't think anybody can fault her for that because you know, even if somebody else was doing it, she'd probably still have a heavy hand and deciding what gets put in there since she's still alive. Yeah. Also, I love Julia Garner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she looks a lot like her, too. I think she's going to do a great job.
0: Pam, if there was a biopic on you, I would cast Selena as you.
2: In mm. 19... Okay. I like a hologram Selena. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, maybe that's... A- okay, Rita Marino. How about that?
1: Okay. It's a good <laughs> good bit older than Pam. Are you talking about Pam's
2: like It's gonna be like Titanic with like the older <laughs> version of Rose, you know, is during uh, the reading, but It'll Bobby Reno Yeah.
0: <laughs> and Laura, for you, I would cast Nicole Kidman.
1: Nicole Kidman? What? I'm not mad. I'm Nicole Kidman <laughs> is very attractive, but I'm, I'm just like perplexed. Why?
0: Why? I, I'm just thinking of the biggest Hollywood actresses I know. <laughs> How about Anna Kendrick, somebody closer to your age?
1: Uh, I hear she's kind of a B word.
0: What? Oh, she seems so cool. I also cool. heard that too. Yeah. Oh no. Yeah, I,
1: Nicole Kidman is much better. I'm totally fine with Nicole Kidman. Plus I get that sick accent. Hell yeah.
0: Yeah. And you can start in an AMC commercial. She can start in an AMC commercial as you.
1: Oh, my gosh. Have you seen all the parodies of that freaking AMC commercial, by the way? They are oh, Laura, so funny.
0: The I haven't seen the parodies, but the gays are obsessed with that damn AMC commercial. <laughs> and there was news last week that um she's going to be doing another one for AMC. So that was a big deal.
1: Yeah. So I have my castings here. I think I took it... <laughs> Took it a little far, <laughs> I. I took pictures of y'all because I'm really bad at recognizing like who looks like what celebrity. Um, so I took pictures of y'all and I found a website where you can upload a picture and it tells you which celebrities you oh, look most no. like. Oh my goodness! Um, so- Actually, I thought the results were really good. Andrew, for you, I got Jimmy Fallon. Okay. I can see that, actually. yeah, Yeah. You look a lot like him.
0: I don't like him, but fine. We do look similar.
1: And he's nice, right? I've heard that he's nice. I
0: thought he has, like, drug issues or something. Does he?
1: Don't we all have drug issues at some (laughs) point? (laughs)
0: Okay. All right.
1: And then, Pam, for you, the person that I found that I just felt like shared most of your facial features was Nia Vardalos of uh, my big fat Greek
2: wedding fame oh I like her and she would probably write the movie and it would be really funny right exactly you know it's it's a twofold
1: yeah there were there were a lot of similarities there and actually like when I saw the picture of her I was like she does kind of
2: look like Pam Mm. (laughs) I've been like binging a few shows. And so I definitely took inspiration from there um, for Laura. I would pick uh, Nicola Coughlin because I've been watching dairy girls and I feel like she can do it all. She's really great. Oh my
1: God. I'm so complimented right now. I love her
2: so much and I love you so much. So I just feel like it would be a good match. And then for Andrew, I would pick Andy Samberg because I think that it would have to be somebody <laughs> who's a little bit sarcastic and I think it would work well. Yeah, yeah,
0: that makes sense. It works. You two put a lot of thought into this. I didn't put any thought into <laughs> this. I didn't plan that in advance.
1: I know. I was like, we can tell how everyone approached this assignment differently. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I brought up the conversation organically, but I failed from there. <laughs> so I thought we could talk about this story in light of all this student let student debt forgiveness news that's been going on. There was a new report from the Washington Post looking at the most regretted college majors. And this data came from the Federal Reserve Survey of Household Economics and Decision Making. And, uh, people were surveyed in 2021. It looks like people get surveyed every year. And so the most regretted college majors. Topping the list, humanities and arts.
1: I feel attacked. 50%. I feel attacked.
0: Was that your bachelor's degree?
1: My bachelor's and my master's.
0: Oh, Laura.
1: I double majored my bachelor's in Spanish and English literature. And then my master's was in fucking applied linguistics.
0: <laughs> and are you part of this 50%? Do you regret that choice?
1: No, actually, I, I don't oh. regret my fields of study.
0: Okay, good. Glad to hear that. Well, uh, social and behavioral sciences came in second with 48% of people saying they regretted it. Third was vocational and technical training. Fourth with 40% was education. talk about that more again in a moment. Uh, fifth was business and management at 38%. Law, 35%. Health, 32%. Physical sciences and math, also 32%. Computer and information sciences, 31%. And last in the top 10 list, engineering, 25% of people regretted that major. Regardless of major, half of those who went to private for-profit schools regret their decision, perhaps because students at for-profit schools are much more likely to struggle to repay their student debt. Similar regrets plague only 21% of those who went to public colleges and universities, and 30% of those who attended private nonprofits. So, Laura, you said you don't regret your degree. That's good. How are you feeling, Pam? And what did you major in?
2: I majored in journalism and international relations. So, I have the top two just on my own. (laughs) Um, But I don't regret my degrees because I feel like I'm really lucky in the sense that I've been able to utilize both of them, uh, not just like well, like, definitely in terms of this show, I think, honestly, the only reason that I can, you know, keep up with the politics stuff is because I went to school for that in part. Um, but then also, obviously, like, I, I do this um, on the side as well with like my full time freelancing. So it worked out well for me. Um, am I making as much as like a brain surgeon? Probably not. But I am using my degrees and, you know, getting those helped me. So
0: fuck how much it earns you. Does it make you happy? That's really all that matters.
2: It does. I'm very happy. So yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. And you've had especially cool experiences in journalism, interviewing some yeah amazing people. So I mean, I think for you especially, where you went with journalism makes it extra worth it.
2: Yeah, I mean, I mean, I've covered everything from like um, local and national politics to um, entertainment in my career, so I've definitely jumped around the most important.
0: (laughs) As somebody who has been in the same room as Harry Styles, do you think that Harry spit on Chris Pine?
2: Well, he didn't spit on me, so take that (laughs) in whatever direction that you'd want to take it in.
0: And now the show is up to date with this week's trends.
2: Yes! (laughs) We did it. It's been like taking everything for me to hold back from talking about... The mess.
0: (laughs) I am very proud to announce I am not following this stupid fucking story and any part of it. I'm missing out. It's it's honestly, no, No, it's like a,
2: listen, it's a masterclass in um, public relations, both in like what to do and also in what not to do. And I think that that is fascinating. Pam, I'm going to need you to fill me
1: in at some point because I'm seeing it everywhere, but I don't have the background to understand what anyone's talking about. So, you and me. I got you. Yeah, I got you. We'll hop on a Zoom later and you will explain it all for me.
0: Record that and we'll release that as next week's episode, please. <laughs> okay, <that> so <sounds> good. <laughs> so I majored in radio, TV, film, and I don't regret it because that's where I wanted to go. But I think one of the bigger reasons why I don't regret it is because I did not complete. The degree, so I didn't get saddled with as much debt as I would have if I went for four or more years. So that's where I stand. The good news is that there does seem to be more awareness around the dangers of pursuing certain majors, particularly in terms of how much you might end up earning. There's been a nationwide pivot to STEM degrees, those being science, technology, engineering, and math, over the last 10 years. The biggest bachelor degree increases computer science, nursing, exercise science, math and statistics, health and medical, engineering, computer and electrical engineering, biology, criminology, and physics. I credit True Crime Podcast for the rise in criminology <laughs> degrees. And then the uh, biggest bachelor degree decreases. We're in the areas of classical studies, religion, library science. Area studies, history, foreign languages and literatures, English language and literature, archaeology, computer literature, and education.
1: Yeah, to that point, Andrew, um, I don't know if y'all remember me venting about this a couple of years ago, but my undergraduate institution actually did away with some foreign language, music, and art concentrations because of this social push towards STEM fields. And I was very upset by this because my undergraduate institution is a liberal arts college. Um, it, It is still a liberal arts college, but the president at the time, he's not the president anymore, he was really pushing for STEM fields. And it ultimately led to the elimination of these more classical programs And I really resent the idea that you can't have both, that suddenly placing an emphasis on STEM fields, which we should, because in this country we are woefully behind in maths and sciences. But that does not mean that we need to overcorrect to the point where we're getting rid of classical programs, because those have a place too, right? They don't teach you nuance in math, because math, to my knowledge, does not have nuance.
2: And that is a valuable skill to have in the real world. And to that point, I think that where humanities and art really end up helping you just be like a better person is that it offers the opportunity for you to understand different cultures and different people on a much steeper level than you would if you were just studying... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, something that always has an answer, like the mo- probably the most frustrating thing going back to my degrees about international relations is coming to the realization very quickly once I started taking these classes that international relations is so important to how a country governs itself and also how a country presents itself. But it is terrifying when you realize that there's no real right answer for any question that is posed in those classes, because guess what? It's all a game of will it work or won't it? And the only reason why we have better educated guesses now is because we're looking back on what happened and whether that worked or didn't work. But it's all one big experiment. And I think that in a way, it's important to know how to think that way as well. Like that is another level of critical thinking that people might not get if they don't have access to those classes. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. ideally, even if you are pursuing a STEM
1: field, which is a great thing to do, I think that there is a lot missing from the educational experience if you are put on a track to just pursue engineering. Right. Because there's a whole lot of the world that gets left out of you know, that line of study if that's all you're focusing on. And the same thing can be said for humanities too. I think that there do need to be some like grounding pillars in base general studies to make sure that you're not completely missing out on the other side of the coin, which is something that liberal arts colleges do really well. And it is funny, because higher, you know, institutions of higher education that are accredited, generally require base level, um, you know, courses in math and science. And yet, it's like, seems like it's never the other way around, where if you are more on a STEM track that you are required to pursue some study, even if it's limited study in the arts and humanities, it just seems like the importance is placed on one and not the other. And so we've done this massive overcorrection where we're saying these are the only fields of value because these are the ones that will make you lots and lots of money,
2: maybe.
0: Right, maybe.
2: It's it's really interesting too when you when you um, think about the this in the context of grade in high schools too, where the arts are the first subjects to be cut because of budgets, but. Statistics have shown that having art class, having music class is actually, you know, having those options is beneficial to younger minds. So if that's the case, then why wouldn't it be also beneficial to uh, minds that are still growing at universities? It's not to say that like, you should have to take those classes all the time, but I don't think it hurts anybody. To, you know, like that's why I think general edu- I think I learned a lot like in these general ed- education classes that we were all forced to take looking back on it. Yeah. Like there were some classes that I never would have taken in colleges that I wouldn't have even thought to take in. And, you know, obviously a lot of the times you find yourself signing up for those things because you need to fill or like check a certain box, but that doesn't mean that you can't come away from that with a more open mind or having learned something that could potentially help you in the future. Right. I mean, I took, I was clearly not a STEM major
1: um, or anything close to that, but my school still required me to satisfy levels of math and science. I took an environmental science class. I did too. Ew, renewable energy. Yeah, it was really hard for me because mm-hmm. that is just not my forte. That is not where I excel. But I learned a lot in that class and I now have a greater awareness of how my actions and the actions of people I know impact the environment. I wouldn't have that firsthand experience if I had not been exposed to it in the classroom.
2: I also took a, an urban housing and policy p- planning class for the international relations major. And that was another one that just gave me a much better understanding of how city planning works mm-hmm. and why, Some things that seem like easy fixes can't actually work in the long term and why, you know, things are the way they are. And I don't necessarily use that for what I'm writing about now, but it's just helpful to know.
0: Yeah. I mentioned education a few minutes ago. And looking at how regrets have evolved over the years, the Washington Post says regrets have remained relatively steady since 2016, the earliest year for which we have consistent data. The most notable exception, education, went from below average regrets before the pandemic to above average regrets in 2021. And I think we know why it was very tough being a teacher and a student during the pandemic. And uh, teachers have come increasingly under fire. Unfortunately, and all for lower wages and having to buy your own school supplies and all that, it's like this isn't worth it. And shout out to any teachers out there who are uh, continuing to teach and anybody who doesn't regret that major because obviously it's super important work, but that that bummed me out to see that.
1: yeah, I mean they' they're kind of <laughs> they're really stuck in the worst kind of rock in a hard place position because it's like not only are they not paid in my mind, they are not paid commiserate with the work that they do at at Mm -hmm. a base level, not with the hours they put in. But then you have states like Florida that are intervening, and you have politicians claiming or trying to create the perception that they know more about educational pedagogy than the people who studied to be educators do. So between the shit pay And the fact that people aren't being allowed to do their jobs, I can understand why people regret it. I can understand why people are leaving the field. Same with a lot of healthcare professionals. These people worked and studied really hard to become skilled in their craft areas. And then we get the ultimate test, a global pandemic. And honestly, we spat in their faces. They were trying to help us and we spat in their faces. So I don't blame them for not wanting to do this anymore.
0: Are millennials and Gen Z, are they so nervous about finances now? Thanks to more public awareness, we see what's going on. We see that it's tough to, you know, buy a house, get a car, pay off your student debt, etc. That they're being driven to focus on high earning majors these days. And it's also a shame because it's like we as a society have selected what's going to earn more money than most. Now, yes, there are very important jobs and they deserve to get paid. A doctor, a scientist, even an airplane pilot. That's very valuable work that we need. But there's other more creative fields who don't get paid as well when they absolutely should. I think of like journalism, extremely important work. We need people watching what's going on, reporting, bringing the truth out, etc. And they don't get paid well. What's going on? Why are people picking all these higher earning ones? Is it just as simple as I need to make as much money as possible?
2: I mean, I hate to say yes, but I think that it definitely factors in. But I also think society has a major role to play on that front uh, in a similar way to how we were all spoon fed this idea that there was no way we would be able to survive if we didn't go to college. Yep. But mm-hmm. when they were telling us that nowhere were they saying you have to pick like a STEM degree. You know, they were just basically saying major in anything. It doesn't matter because you just need a degree if you don't want to On your work. resume. Yeah, yeah, exactly. If you don't want to work at like a service industry for the rest of your life. So, yeah. yeah. And it, it's just interesting how it things like perspective changes and like, and, and it's going to be interesting to see how in like 10 years time this changes, because at some point STEM is going to be impacted. And then we're going to move on to another major that is honestly, you know what I think we're going to see is um, we're going to see a return to society pushing the importance of trade skills because trade skills are dying and we're always going to need plumbers, electricians.
1: Yeah, and you have seen some schools move towards pushing a STEAM model, right, which does include the arts. So there are some cases where it is recognized that you will probably do better if you have you know, a higher diversity of fields of study available to you. But to your point, Pam, about us being spoon fed the idea, just go get a degree. It doesn't matter what it's in, you just need a degree. I wonder if young people today are being told just get a STEM degree. It doesn't matter what kind you get, just get a STEM degree. I wonder if the same problem is going to play out just in a slightly different way. I'll be honest with you, I know a lot of people who started out going into engineering or medicine um, or mathematics, and almost none of them are doing those things now. And they found things that make them happier because they were pressured, most likely by their parents To pursue something that had like a very clear monetary value in society and it made
2: them miserable. I can't remember who said it, but oh, I see it's it's Zian who said um, I'm uh, I think it was Zian who was talking about how nursing is like the thing that Asian families push for their students or I think it was it might have been specifically Filipino Um, for immigrants, especially like Hispanic immigrants. A lot of times it's a business degree. Like my my grandpa, my mom's side was like, get a business degree, but get a business degree. And I know I'm not the only one with a Mexican grandpa who was telling, you know, their grandchildren to get a business degree. So it is really interesting to see, too, how like the community you're part of pushes you in certain directions and and how that ends up affecting young people that end up going on to study in higher education as well.
0: It's so interesting also because while we spend a lot of time on this show talking about how we, uh, millennials, Gen Z, other generations too, are underpaid and overworked, um, it's also important to consider that earnings don't always need to be a factor. Everyone has different long-term goals in life. One of the biggest being, maybe you don't want to have kids, and that could seriously change what work you pursue in your career. If you don't have kids, like I don't have kids, nor do I want to have kids, that's going to save me so much money over the long term. That alone is what drives me to not have kids. (laughs) Well, not just that alone. That is the biggest reason, but all the other work that comes with having a kid. But you don't need to earn as much. Maybe you're cool living with a partner, boyfriend, girlfriend, or husband, wife, whatever, and just splitting... Rent or splitting the mortgage maybe you don't need to buy your own place and own it outright yourself um maybe you have a simpler way of living maybe you don't go on trips outside of the country maybe you just live the van life living out of a van like we have a listener they were on the show a year or two ago talking about that like some people are just happy that way living a simpler life and then you don't need to kill yourself with student debt or getting into a degree that in your heart of hearts you don't want there's just going to be so many different situations and everybody's raised assuming that they need to make as much money as possible to afford the mansion they'll have by the time they're 30.
1: I personally just try to live beneath my means. Mhm. That's always been my strategy and it allows me to not feel quite so stressed about having like a 10-year plan. Yeah. For where I want to be financially.
0: Yeah. I mean, I kind of go back and forth sometimes on the situation. I just want to live debt free and kind of like retire after that. Once this house is paid off, I'm done. I'm going to live a simpler life career wise. I'll tell you that much.
1: Yeah, I don't blame you.
0: (laughs) Maybe go and be like a camp counselor or just do something wholesome where you make a small salary. I'll just work at Starbucks and wait for people to tell me to squirt some pumpkin or some chocolate into their drinks. <laughs> and then I'll be like, are you listening to a millennial from 30 years ago?
1: <laughs> I like how, um, shoot, what is that? 50 some odd year old Andrew is going to be working in a Starbucks.
0: Yeah, uh, I'm ready. I'm not saying it's easy. but I
2: love this aesthetic for you. <laughs> I actually do know, funnily, a few retirees that work at Starbucks. Yeah, you see in older. The... yeah. 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 Uh, Coffee's great. It keeps you social. I will say that. Like if you're working anything where you're serving something up. Rex is over here in the discord,
1: like, welcome to Starbucks. My name is Andrew. What can I squirt for you today?
0: (laughs) Would you like a triple squirt? Would you like a dirty? Ooh, a dirty squirt. squirt is right up there with moist in terms of words i wish to never hear people say so i apologize Yeah, it's
2: (laughs) kind of gross
0: (laughs) so we went on patreon and we asked our listeners if they regret their majors we got a lot of responses so thank you so much to everybody who took some time to write a message and uh, we're not going to read them all today because we did get a lot we're going to focus on the ones the people who said that they do regret their majors, though there were plenty who said that they did not regret their majors and we're happy for you. Glad you feel that way. This is from Amanda. I went to art school with a major in illustration and yeah, I regret it. I think I liked the idea of being an artist more than I actually like doing it in reality and I haven't used my degree at all. It even kind of ruins my love of making art for fun. Also, I love learning, and I often feel like I missed out on engaging in academic discussions of more topics and challenging my mind the way I could have in a traditional major, which I think I would have really enjoyed, and I regret not having that experience. Art is certainly challenging and requires a lot of creativity and critical thinking, but in a different way, that didn't end up fulfilling me. But on the bright side, having a college degree at all, even one in the arts, was helpful in getting an office job that I ended up enjoying, so it didn't hold me back entirely. I'm currently in grad school, and I plan to use the second degree to make a career transition to a field that suits me much better, has more career opportunities and upward mobility, is intellectually stimulating in the ways I enjoy, and combines my existing design knowledge with technology expertise. So far, I'm loving it. Good. Glad you're loving it. Sometimes things seem great when you're doing them for fun. Let's say podcasting, or I know somebody who is working at Disneyland or they wanted to work at Disneyland because, oh, my God, Disneyland's so amazing. It's so fun. But then you work there or you work in podcasting, you work in Starbucks. You're like, wow, I love this when I wasn't getting paid for it. And now it fucking sucks because <laughs> it turns into work. It's, it turns into something you have to do. It's not something optional that you just do for fun and don't have to think hard about. And by the way, I'm not saying I don't enjoy podcasting. It's just an no, example but I mean, of going from.
1: I don't think there's any shame in admitting that sometimes it can feel like work. Maybe not necessarily mm-hmm. this part. This is the fun part where we're recording the show. But I mean, you have to edit it, Andrew. Um, you know, I tend to write show notes for the show. Pam writes them for me as a backup when I'm out. I wouldn't say that I like wake up in the morning and I'm like, oh, boy, show notes. You know what I mean? Right. And I don't
0: wake up and say, oh, boy, I am get to edit for a few hours. Right.
1: Exactly. (laughs) Like, nobody thinks that way. So I think it's fine and human to say there's pros and cons to everything. Overall, we really love podcasting. But yeah, there are things about it, just like everything else that can be a drag.
0: What changes, like, especially with us and the podcast is like, we have to continue working. We have to continue earning. We have to perform at a certain level or else it all falls apart and then it becomes stressful and that's when it's less fun. Right, yeah. Largely, like like you said, the recording part, that is probably the most fun.
1: Well, Whitney said, I don't regret my degree, but it took me a while to find a degree path I was passionate about. I started community college countless times after high school and struggled to get through gen ed classes due to not knowing what degree path I wanted to take. Once I became a single mom, I felt more pressure to find a degree path to be able to support me and my son. I finally stuck with nutrition sciences and finished my bachelor's in nutrition and dietetics. I work as a dietitian in a public health setting, and I find it to be so rewarding to help those in the community reach their nutritional goals and find community resources to support their family's needs. That's awesome, Whitney.
0: Yeah.
2: I'm glad you found what was right for you. Laura V says, it's complicated in my case. Yes and no. I majored in computer engineering. I also have a PhD in the same field and worked for a few years in academia. After experiencing harassment at work, I had to step away. Instead of going towards it, oh, I'm sorry. Instead of going towards IT, I somehow got back to my first and real love writing. Now I'm a freelance writer making use of my degree exactly 0% of the time. Do I regret the career change? Absolutely not. Do I regret the degree? Not necessarily, but I do feel I wasted a lot of time with it that I could have, that could have been much better spent doing what I love. Why did I go for a major if my love was always writing? Part of it was family. Part of it was a lousy literature teacher I had in school who thought my writing was trash. And me being a shy autistic teenager with zero self-respect believed her and I didn't touch writing until now. Um, I honestly like I could, I, I, I'm i not on the spectrum, but I can definitely relate to this because the first English teacher I had at university sent me to remedial English uh, tutoring. And it really messed up my grade point average for a while because i I think I got like um I might have gotten like a c minus I might have like barely passed their class, and there was nothing I could do to boost my grade um everybody I was working with at the tutoring center was like really frustrated because nothing they would help me with would like change this teacher's mind. And it's really frustrating when you get somebody that is not really there helping you be your best. But it's nice that this story has a a happy ending and that you push through that. Yeah. And you get to do it now. Screw that teacher. Yeah.
0: But I am so happy you ultimately pursued what you love most. That's great. This one comes from Lori. I do regret my major. Going into college for my undergrad, I was undecided, so I took gen eds. By the beginning of sophomore year, I was feeling the pressure to pick a major. I went to the resource center on campus where you could take a quiz that would suggest majors that align with your interests. Speech language pathology was one of the suggestions, and my roommate's mom was a speech language pathologist, so I figured it was a sign that I should go into that major. This field requires a master's degree to get a job, so I went to grad school immediately after getting my undergrad. Once I graduated, I started working in the public school system, and that's where I continue to be. I do not love my job, though. I love the school schedule with having the same workday and holidays off as my kids, and I work with some really great people, but I just don't love being a speech-language pathologist. I work way more hours than my actual contract hours, and I feel like the demands for my job increase every school year. I hate having to do work at home, which puts me in a bad mood and then makes me feel like a bad mom. In addition to not being able to complete all the work during my contract hours, I became aware of the neurodiversity movement a few years ago, which has made me feel really bad about myself as a professional. I learned that many of the practices I'd been using in my therapy, which I thought were helpful and successful, were actually detrimental to autistic kids. And Laurie did write more, but we are cutting it down for time. Um... Sorry, it's not worked out, Lori. But yeah, again, it's just like we never know where these degrees, these life choices are going to take us until we're actually living in them. So it's like you can't. I. It's rough, but you you can't beat yourself up about these choices, right? It's like you just never know.
1: Yeah, when you know better, you do better. I know that's kind of a cliche, but you wouldn't have done those things and you wouldn't have used those techniques if the you know, literature and research at the time supported using them. And now that you know, it sounds like you're maybe making some changes to the way you approach it. Also, Rex in our Discord um, says uh, that he can totally see how you feel this way as a speech language pathologist. So you're definitely not alone. This next one comes from Megan, who says, I got my undergrad in psychology and am in a master's for social work. I think if I would have waited a year or two after graduating high school to start college, I would have done social work for both degrees, which would have been cheaper and faster. So not exactly a regret, but I imagine this would have been a better path in the long term. You know, Who knows? Maybe it was pursuing the psych degree that made you realize you wanted to go into social work to begin with. Mm. Sometimes I think doing like the what if game for yourself can do more harm than good. (laughs) Oh,
0: yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Don't focus on what if focus on what is, as I heard recently. Um, But yeah, everything happens for a reason. I do sometimes believe that not all the time, but sometimes you really got to wonder why certain things happen when they do lead to certain other things.
2: This one's from Alyssa who says, I don't say I regret my degrees, English lit and cinema screen studies, but I do regret immediately jumping into higher education without having an idea of what I wanted to study. And then having to take so many loans out to be undeclared when I could have easily gone to community college to start off, honestly, like pop off because that's so real. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and I, You know, I think we've talked before on the show about how a lot of schools also push this idea that if you don't at least go to a a state school, um, then you've somehow failed. But there's no shame in community college. And community college is a great stepping stone. Absolutely, And it's nice to see it being more more accepted on like the national main stage. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I went to community college for a year. Absolutely loved it.
1: Yeah, I don't regret my undergraduate experience. But looking back... I can definitely see where I would have benefited from community college a hundred percent,
0: thanks to everybody who submitted feedback via Patreon. If you are a patron uh check out those responses. I'd make that post public, but I so everybody can look at all the thoughts that people had, but I figure some people want to keep that behind the paywall. <laughs> My closing point here is hindsight's twenty twenty of course, and there's no way to know if this will work out for you. Before you get into a major, if it does work out for you, honestly, I think it's mostly luck because we're all just battling life together. We never know what's going to come our way. We never truly know what's going to happen until we are in something. So a lot of it just comes down to luck if it does work out. For example, like, you know, I dropped out is very scary. I didn't know for sure a website or podcasting was going to work out. It was a huge risk. And I was insecure about dropping out for years after, but only now. Over ten years later, am I okay with being like, you know what? That was a good decision. That just took a long time to realize that it did end up being a good decision because it was risky for a long time. So again, it's just like you never know what's going to happen, and a lot of it's going to come down to luck.
1: Yep, right place, right time.
0: Like we said, don't beat yourselves up over it. But it is interesting to see what people are regretting most, and and how these regrets are evolving over the years. Over on our Patreon, we just wanted to let you know that in this week's After Dark, we're going to be talking about official fan conventions versus fan run conventions. This was inspired by a tweet we saw. Somebody was probably rightfully complaining that another official fan convention has been announced. This one is for Harry Potter. And we're going to talk about the problems there with official entities running their own quote unquote fan conventions. And we'll also share some fun convention stories over the from over the years while we're on the topic. It's actually the 15th and 16th anniversaries of some very special convention events in my life, so we can reflect on those as well. $2 patrons get Hashing It Out and After Dark in the first week of each month, and then $5 and higher get every installment of Hashing It Out and After Dark. But I just wanted to mention that because this week's New audio content is the first of the month. And by the way, coming soon, we were brainstorming this the other day. We're going to be doing a Hypa-themed Mugglesuck. But of course, we'll call it Hypa-suck. I founded Hypeable a little over 10 years ago. It's not running anymore. But Pam was involved for a very long time. And we have many stories to share similar to the Mugglesuck stories that we have yet to unload here on Millennial. So we'll do that in the weeks ahead. Time for some recommendations.
1: I wanted to recommend loop earplugs. I found out about these recently. A friend recommended them to me. They are earplugs that you can put in that help to filter out the ambient noise in a variety of different situations. I struggle with this sometimes. Like if I'm in a really crowded restaurant that's really loud and I'm trying to have a conversation with somebody, I can get really lost in all that background noise. Also, sometimes if I'm like watching TV, we have a really loud HVAC system. When it comes on, sometimes I'm like, oh, I have to either turn the volume way up or or turn the AC off, which is not optimal, uh, in order to be able to enjoy this without feeling like I'm hearing the competing <laughs> sounds of the HVAC and my TV. These things really help with that. They're like $30 on Amazon, so they're very affordable. They've got a few different models, but apparently they're also great for concert goers. So if you're wanting to protect your hearing when you're in a loud concert venue, but still want to be able to hear the music, these are great for that because somehow they're able to maintain dialogue and music and things like that, but really do a good job of filtering out that ambient background noise. So if you're like me and you struggle with that, I recommend checking these out. Interesting. Okay.
2: I wanted to recommend the Tarani pumpkin pie syrup, not the pumpkin spice syrup, although that one's very good too. But the pumpkin pie syrup, uh, this is for all of you fellow pumpkin spice sluts out there. If you want to save a little bit of money because a Starbucks is getting very expensive, I would recommend just getting a bottle of this. And bonus, if you want to feel like a fancy barista, you can also just buy a pump for it that you can put on <laughs> in place of the lid. And that pump is going to give you the same fluid ounce that you get in every pump of a syrup at any coffee shop. Uh, so it's a good Smart. investment. and You can reuse it. And uh, yeah, this is like a nice little treat. And, uh, you know, again, like you can do any syrup, but we are in pumpkin spice season. So, of course, I have to recommend the pumpkin pie syrup by Tarani.
0: Good idea. Speaking of coffee, I meant to bring this up earlier when we were talking about PSLs. I want to recommend trying black coffee for a few days and see if you end up liking it. I got off sugar in my coffee years ago. It only took me a couple of days to wean myself off. I never looked back. I tried black coffee last week for what was probably one of my first times because I'm starting to try intermittent fasting, which maybe I'll talk about at a later time. And um, you can drink coffee, but it can't have any creamer or sugar in it. So I actually, you know, first day I was like, oh, okay. Second day I was like, all right. After the third day, I started really liking it. And then I had coffee with oat milk in it. Over the weekend, and I was like, you know what? This is a little too sweet, I think. There's a little too much dairy in this, or a dairy alternative in this. So I might just permanently switch to black coffee. I like that extra kick that you get from that raw Coffee taste,
2: Andrew likes it raw.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I do like it raw. <laughs> I
2: love black coffee. I drink black coffee all the time. and honestly, it started because uh, for a long time, you really couldn't get a lot of dairy alternatives and milk that weren't separating and I didn't like the separation. So when I go out like um to a restaurant or even just to like a, a random coffee shop that isn't, you know, Starbucks that now has all these like oat milk alternatives, I'll usually just do the coffee black. and yeah, it's nice. Yeah. I and mean, you yeah. get a deeper appreciation, too, for like the flavors of the coffee you're choosing, which is fun if you want to get into pour overs and stuff like that. Yeah, and it just like brings nice. out the
0: raw taste.
2: Yeah, and... yeah. And it's always really impressive to everybody, too. So that's like a little <laughs> added bonus. I know, right?
0: Oh, I didn't think about that. Oh, OK. This makes me fancy.
2: No, it's like it's like the best conversation starter I think I've ever accidentally participated in because people see that, you know, you don't have you're not putting cream in your coffee or like when you tell the barista that you don't need any room, they're like, oh, you're just going to take it black? It's like, yeah, I'll just have it black. And they're like, oh, like
0: this person's serious. I'll take it black and I'll take it raw, please.
2: Black like my soul. Oh,
0: yes. I'll take my coffee black. No squirts of anything in it, please. Thank you very much.
1: I like both. I like it black and I like it with uh, dairy-free creamer.
2: Sometimes you just want a little treat. And sometimes that treat comes with a dairy creamer or a a squirt of syrup.
0: Yeah, no, I totally get that. I totally get that. I'm just saying I was pleasantly surprised and I encourage others to try it as well. Again, that kick, it just, mmm. Okay, so before we wrap up today, make sure you follow the show for free in your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. And do leave us a review. We recently asked some of our patrons to leave reviews and we read them and they're so nice. Thanks, everybody who leaves reviews. And I know I say it every week, but we would really appreciate a review. So if you could take a moment to do that, again, we would really appreciate it. If you have any feedback, you can contact us by writing to millennialshow at gmail.com, or you can use the contact form or anonymous confessional on millennialshow.com. And you can also follow us on social media. We are Millennial Show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And then over on TikTok, we are Millennial Pod. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Andrew.
2: I'm Laura. And I'm Pamela.
1: Bye, everyone. See ya.